Welcome, everybody, to episode 13 of Junior Resource Investing. This is a podcast that's dedicated to deepening your understanding of the junior resource sector and some important and exciting plays within it. But as a disclaimer here, please remember that this is not financial advice. Neither myself nor my guests are financial advisors or your financial advisors, for that matter. This is for entertainment purposes only. For As always, for full disclaimer, please check out the YouTube notes below. But with that out of the way, I am pleased to present our latest guest, Claudia Tornquist, President and CEO of Kodiak Kodiak Copper, pardon me. Kodiak Copper is a copper explorer and developer whose core project is their highly prospective MPD land package, which is located in the prolific Quesnel Trough in BC, which is home to multiple operating copper mines. Claudia, this is our first time chatting face-to-face. It's nice to meet you. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So the way I always start this, uh, my, all my interviews is the same basic question. It's just a 30-second elevator pitch. So why don't you introduce us to who Kodiak is, what Kodiak is, why is your story compelling, and, and I guess most basically is why should investors invest their money in you? Yes, happy to do so. Kodiak, as you said, is a copper exploration company. We're focused on the MPD project in southern British Columbia, where we made a discovery and have, since we made the discovery two years ago, been very successful drilling more and expanding on the discovery. The company, Kodiak, is founded by Chris Taylor of Great Bear fame, who is also our chairman. And at this time, we're busy drilling, and very importantly, in the current markets, we are well-financed. We have a treasury of $9 million and are financed for all of this year's work and well into next year and don't need to worry about financing. Excellent. And you're absolutely right. In this in the market conditions of today, having financed having the finances taken care of is a huge, absolutely a huge bonus. Uh, why don't you just run us through your own personal history, your previous jobs, your previous careers, and then maybe how you ended up with Kodiak? Well, I'm a an engineer by training, mechanical engineer, and started out in the automotive industry, actually. I then later did an MBA and then made the move into the resources industry a little bit by chance. One of these turns life takes with a headhunter who approached me at the time with a job at Rio Tinto. That's now more than 20 years ago. I took the job, worked for over 10 years, well, almost 10 years with Rio Tinto and have been in resources ever since. After my time in Rio Tinto, um, I moved to Vancouver with my family and made the switch to the junior sector. That's now 12 years ago. And um, my first job in the junior of um, universe was with Sandstorm Gold, uh, where I financed junior mining company with Stream and Royalty Finance, which was a really good start in the junior sector because it gave me a very good overview of the type of, of companies and projects are out there and the good ones and the bad ones and how to finance them, which is really sort of key um, to make a junior successful. And then um, after a couple of years, I set out to create and find my own opportunity. And then in 2015, met Chris Taylor when he had just started out Kodiak and also Great Bear. And um, I was actually an investor in the first round of financing that Chris raised. I was an investor first, 
I then worked with Chris um, as a consultant initially, then went on the board a year after, and then another year later joined Chris in the executive team. And yeah, that's sort of how Chris and I started working together and how I uh, came to, to be with Kodiak. And yeah, we're a very complementary team. My background is more the financial commercial side of things. Chris is technical. He's a geologist. So we work very well together. Thank you. This is going to be a, just a, a quick sidestep question here. I'm always curious when I talk to people who make that jump from majors to juniors, could you just maybe talk about, I mean, what's the, you know, what are some things that stuck out to you at the time? I know obviously this is now a decade in your past, but making that transition, what are some growing pains or adjustments that you had to make or that you, that felt different, I guess? It's very different uh, working for a major than it is working in the, in the junior sector. Um, I certainly learned a lot at Via Tinto and had a fantastic time there. Most of my work was sort of commercial roles, things like um, M&A, business development, business evaluation, strategy. So I really value my time there and, and I certainly learned a lot. Um, the junior sector is very different. So obviously, it's much more entrepreneurial and um, the whole sort of capital markets side of things, how to finance um, a company, how to minimize dilution, all of that um, is, is um, very, very important, which obviously for a major um, or for the types of roles I was at the major was much less the case. So, yeah, it's very different, the skills you need in the one and the other, different, but also complementary. Certainly what I learned at Rio Tinto is also very beneficial now for my work at Kodiak because I understand how majors function, what they are looking for in terms of projects and um, yeah, what type of deals they might to make. Interesting. So why don't we talk about your team? Obviously, you mentioned Chris Taylor, and I'm sure anybody listening to this knows the Chris Taylor and Great Bear story, right? And so Kodiak being a, a sister company to Great Bear obviously brings it, you know, some some notoriety or some fame. But could you talk us through the geologists on your team and maybe specifically, you know, who has worked the region before, made discoveries, and then experience with copper porphyries, just because we as we all know Great Bear is a is a gold play, right? So what's the experience with copper porphyries? That's a very good question. And you mentioned Chris Taylor already. He is really key to our technical team. He guides and leads our technical work. And as you said, Great Bear is a big gold story. So many people think of Chris as a gold guy, but actually Chris's core experience as a geologist is in copper porphyries. He started his professional career with imperial metals and worked for a number of years for them, exploring four copper porphyries all over North America. So he's intimately familiar with mines like Red Chris, Mount Milligan, other BC porphyry stories, and his porphyry knowledge is really invaluable for Kodiak. And then um, Behind Chris, we have a great exploration team consisting of Jeff Ward, our VP Exploration, Andy Berry, our VP Operations, and Dave Skelton, who is a member of, of the um, senior team. And um, all three of them have decades of experience running big drill programs and exploring all over North America and the world for that matter. So very experienced team. 
And yeah, I'm very confident in our ability to um, really make the most of, of what we have at NPD. I really think we have a great technical team in place. Perfect. So why don't we switch gears here a bit? Well, we'll get more to the, the, the fiscal side of things here. Can you run through share structure, options, warrants? What's the overhang that, that, deal, that investors have to deal with right now? And then after that, I'll ask again, maybe, but just ownership distribution, right? Insiders versus institutional versus retail. Mm -hmm. So share uh, capital, we have at the moment just over 55 million shares outstanding. So are tightly held, very much like Great Bear was. We've been fortunate in the past and were able to finance at times where um, we could achieve a high share price and minimize dilution for our shareholders. Hence, we are well financed and, and only a small, relatively small number of shares outstanding with 55 million. Many of our shareholders really like that. We don't have any warrants, any warrant overhang. Again, that's also seen very favorably by many investors and shareholders. And in total, 3.9 million options outstanding. So, yeah, tightly held company. Do you know, this is always a trick question, do you know the price on those options? The um, weighted average, um, that's a public number, you could find that in our MDNA, is uh, $1.11. Perfect. Excellent. And we were in the 70s today. Do you, what would we close? What did, what did Kodiak close at today? Do you know? To be honest, I haven't had a chance to yeah. look at our score <laughs> since the market closed. That's too <laughs> short ago. I've been in meetings ever since. Um, but yeah, we've been hovering around the 70 cent mark, which is, of course, not where we want to be like all other juniors. Well, the entire resource sector, the market is very tough at the moment. And we've seen our share price decline over the summer, despite good results and despite very good progress with our exploration program. It is what it is. The market is not under our control. As I mentioned before, the important thing for us and for our shareholders is that we finance. We finance early in the year before the market took a turn for the worse in spring. Um, and that means we are now financed, can work and um, can weather the storm and come out with good results and an advantage as and when the market turns. Mm -hmm. And as it's a credit to you, right? Financing in a positive space in terms of pricing. That's, yeah, that's it's a, it's a credit to the exec executive team. Can you break down insider versus institutional versus retail? Yeah, um, we have nine or just over percent of insiders and management. We then have 9.9% with our largest shareholder tech resources and just over 11% of institutional shareholding. Shareholders, that's the um, guys or institutions that came in earlier this year in spring when we financed and did a 9.6 million board deal financing. This was really the first time we um, had any institutions join our shareholder register. That was the first opportunity really for any um, institutions to come in. So, yeah, and beyond that um, is retail. But when I say retail, I would, uh, again, emphasize that we um, um, much, a big portion of those retail shareholders are still relatively large shareholders. We have a couple of, of brokers with whom Kodiak has worked for years 
and um, their clients are a large part of our shareholder base. So there are a number of shareholders in there whom I still know, speak to, are larger shareholders, high net worth individuals um, in Canada. And then we also have a strong shareholder base in Europe, Germany, Switzerland, etc. You know, you mentioned previously a weak market, and and I think at, at this point for me, it's become a cliche saying this over and over again. But this is, of course, the time to be buying, right? That every, I think retail, you know, small retail makes the classic mistake of you know buying high and selling low, and they and trade on emotion. When realistically, if I mean the the all of the macro tailwinds involved with copper, that the next five or ten years, I mean, this is a huge investment thesis for myself. Is that it's going to be an extremely positive time, right? A little bit of short term pain. But I mean, in the end, that's always an opportunity for those of us who, you know, have courage, conviction, or foolishness, you know, decide to buy at this time period, right? I guess maybe a question for you though is, you know, on the on the other side of the coin, as an executive of a, of a resource exploration development company, how is how have you evolved Kodiak's strategy to match? And this is obviously maybe referencing to Mojave, which we can speak about later. But how has your strategy evolved in response to these market conditions to make sure that you are still there to weather the storm? Well, I think the fact that we financed and um, able to work that really is at this point the most important. And that means also that our strategy is, is very much intact and um, in large parts unchanged. I mean, there are a lot of, of peer companies who are really slowing down, hunkering down, going into cash preservation mode, whereas we continue to drill um, MPD have a big drill program ongoing, another large program plan next year because we have the finance for it available. Now, having said that, we certainly watch the market and our cash position very closely and um, are prudent and have put a couple of, of changes in place. As you referred to um, already, um, one is um, related to our second project, Mojave, which is also very interesting project um, porphyry in Arizona and we had planned to drill it this year and decided to defer that drill program so as to focus on our main project MPD, which is I think where our shareholders want us to focus and where we are likely to create the most value for our shareholders in the near term. And yeah, so that's one change we've made. We've certainly also cut our marketing budgets um, overall and just looked generally where we can defer and, and cut overheads. But MPD, our strategy remains intact. We're drilling and it's a very exciting time at MPD where we really have the, the potential to make more discoveries because we are now testing other targets with the um, um, same approach that led to the discovery success at, at GATE and with the aim to make more high-grade discoveries. And even in a bad market, that would, I'm pretty sure, still generate excitement. And that's really why it is an exciting time for Kodiak, even though the market backdrop certainly is, is not the easiest. And speaking personally, a, a, a preferred moment for me to enter a, and to enter into a play is post initial discovery, uh, and after that initial euphoria has died off a bit, and the, but there remains that valid geological thesis or geophysical thesis that directs and informs future exploration, right? And so for me, 
Kodiak checks those boxes, right? That you, you have that discovery. It's already quite exciting, but you know, it's been a year or two since that discovery. And now, I mean, now of course with the market conditions, it's sagged, of course, but now you're on the, you're on the precipice of, of, of even more. Right. So no, I think this is for people new to the story. Uh, I mean, maybe there are people that are new to the story, but this is a, an ideal time to be buying in my opinion. Uh, if I may, just we'll end this, this first section here off just discussing jurisdiction. For me, you know, exploration is a challenging enough game without jurisdictional risk, right? That so I, I am I will follow the right team most places, but typically I like stable jurisdictions where maybe government permitting is strict or difficult, but it's predictable, right? And so if you if you jump through the right hoops, you can with with reliability and trust and high and high conviction trust that you will get to where you need to be right so and, and obviously bc is legendary but i mean and this but there's a variety of reasons why bc is such a positive jurisdiction and why where you are in bc it's you're not in the golden triangle right where you are in bc is such a positive jurisdictional space could you run through just some of the benefits maybe of of where you are yeah i um also think that where we are where mpd is located is extraordinarily favorite favorable uh, location was one of the key reasons why we originally acquired the project. We really liked where it is. It's obviously Canada, BC is already um, very high environmental standards and, and ESG standards before you even start doing anything. And that gives a lot of comfort to many investors. And then where we are in the south of, of British Columbia, in an established mining district, it's just a um, great place to work in that there's all the infrastructure there. Everything is local, whether that's workforce, drilling companies, all the services, all the supplies. We are in a resource area, so that makes it very easy to work. We're in the southern part of BC, so you can work year-round. There's not too much snow. It's not extremely cold. There's plenty of water available. It's not a water-scarce area like, for example, many of the pufferies in, in South America. Um, they face that situation. Electricity in uh, BC is 90-something um, percent um, sustainable hydro source. So that's another point that's uh, very important in the future will be. So, yeah, we're very happy with the location. have made um, very positive experiences so far. And um, it's certainly a big part of, of the value of the MPD project, just where it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I did, I just, I, I, I told it, I told, I, I fibbed there, I lied. I have two more questions here for part one. Do you mind just running through, uh, just the history of the land packages? And let's, I know you do have more than one. Let's, MPD will clearly be the focus, but perhaps maybe just touch on Mojave as well. But can you just discuss uh, how you, how Kodiak acquired them, when you acquired them, um, and then just briefly run through exploration prior to Kodiak, and then I'll follow up after the fact a discussion of NSRs that are attached to these properties. Mm -hmm. Let me start with MPD. We acquired the project in 2018, late 2018. And what made it attractive to us, so one thing that made it attractive was that we were able to acquire a consolidated land package of projects that were all individually on smaller land packages explored extensively. So in total on our project on MPD, there was more than 50,000 meters of historic drilling, 
but all always on small land packages and by literally dozens of um, different operators over the, the span of several decades. And we were able to acquire the consolidated package. So for the first time, are in a position where we can look at the big picture, have all the information um, from all the historic drilling um, in one place, and can put in place a comprehensive exploration strategy based on modern methods. And that really was the first step how we were able to create value at MPD. And what's important to understand is that all of this historic drilling was, on average, very shallow. There were a couple of little bit deeper holes, but the average depth per hole or length per hole was 120 meters. So very near surface, very shallow. And that's where we saw the opportunity. When Chris Taylor first visited the property, viewed the property, his uh, thesis was that the... Um, historic drilling was simply not deep enough to reach the higher grade zones. So that was our approach. We drilled deeper and we made the discovery in the main drill program. Um, the thesis was validated right away. And yeah, operated onwards ever since. So that's um, MPD. You asked about Mojave, our project in um, Arizona. That's very much of a similar story. It's also in a great location. Arizona obviously is copper country and Mojave is right off a highway with all the infrastructure nearby in a mining district. And just like MPD, it has been explored historically and has a lot of interesting smoke. But um, nobody has really figured it out yet. And Chris also has some ideas for that one. And it's a great project. Um, we really like it and looking forward to drilling it. Um, I always sometimes call it the, the joker in our back pocket. It's mm. certainly a project with a lot of exploration upside and discovery potential. And we want to drill it as and when markets conditions um, allow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, copper porphyry systems are notoriously tricky to to master, right? So and you're exactly correct that, I mean, and obviously you know this much better than I do, but once once you have that predictable sort of result, once you have established where you are in the system or established knowledge of the system, they become easier and easier with every drill hole to, to start to understand. Regarding ESG, so obviously this is... It becomes, a, it becomes a buzzword, right? But I think that when it comes to 21st century ex mining exploration, this is one of those things that's as critical to any story, right? Especially in a jurisdiction such as Canada, where Indigenous peoples have uh, sovereignty and, and some sort of local political power, right? So I guess my question to you then is, in, in specifically within the ESG umbrella or underneath that umbrella, how have you worked with local First Nations to ensure support with the project? Because that, of course, is part of part and parcel of working within British Columbia, uh, in terms of agreements signed or employment opportunities, or how are you working to ingratiate yourself in their, within their communities? As I said, ESG is an important part of um, an exploration company's work and becoming more and more so um, as we go into the future. Really, in the olden days, companies just went and explored and didn't really consult or engage with local stakeholders and First Nations until there were problems. And those days are really and truly over. Um, these days, um, we talked to um, the local stakeholders, the First Nations in the area before we even drilled. And before we touch any piece of ground, um, we... Um, liaise with them, have them survey the ground to make sure it's okay, and then we go ahead. 
So, yeah, we um, speak to, in total, almost 20 First Nations in the area, NPT. We keep them informed. Some of them just want to keep informed and not engage any further. Others, we um, have meetings, we um, contact them for heritage surveys and, and so on. So there is a, is a mix um, of, of the level of, of communication. But um, the relationships, I think, are, are a very important part of our work. And we want to establish those early. In um, the area where we are, the First Nations, they really understand mining because they are many mines in the area so they are technically very astute and um it's a real pleasure working with them we have several first nations employees as part of our, our team on site we contract with a number of um, first nations companies for example our heavy equipment contractor um, or for hfr service and the like and at the end of the day it's, um, it makes sense to work with the local people and establish these relationships early. And it's also about um, risk management, because um, if ever there's an issue, then um, we want to know early. And uh, sitting down and talking is the way to, to uh, find out. And, but in most cases, by sitting down and establishing these relationships early, that's how you prevent issues from occurring in the first place. And I can certainly say for MPD, it's been so far a real pleasure working with the First Nations in the area. They have been very supportive. And um, I really, that's for me, the part, one of the parts of my work I really, truly really enjoy. I find um, it's really inspiring working with people who might have a very different background together to make this the best project it can be. And then, you know, ultimately it comes down to, unsurprisingly, because so much of human relations is this, it's just mutual trust and communication, right? And that mutual res mutual respect, right? So, and no, I, and I think it's, it's the future. It's here to stay on both like a moral and a practical level. It's just one of those things that it's better to be proactive than reactive, right? So no kudos. Um, we're going to switch gears here now. I want to talk about, or I'd like to talk about historical drilling and then maybe transition into talking about the more contemporary exploration thesis behind, I guess, for MPD, but Matt and Dillard in particular, because that's kind of where we're going. But so you have 50,000 meters prior to, prior to, as I say, Great Bear, pardon me, prior to Kodiak's uh, acquisition, there's 50,000 meters drilled. As you reference, limited utility because it is quite shallow, right? So not as necessarily going where they need the meter the meters don't necessarily go where they need to go since then if you include 2022 kodiak has put in about 50 55,000 meters correct me if i'm wrong with these numbers but give or take roughly uh so i mean not a non-insubstantial uh, amount of work has been done i guess and so i mean it's been already fairly clearly stated but i guess you know, what is the core exploration thesis for this, right? You talk about, is it, is it just as simple, is it simple as drilling deeper? Is that, is, is that really just the, the difference? Because that is quite a very modern thing, right? We have to be going deeper for these porphyries, for these discoveries, but, it, or what else are you doing in terms of more modern exploration tactics or geophysics, et cetera? What are, what I guess ultimately after that long winded discussion or is that what are you doing differently now than previous operators did, did, did not or could not do? Well, I think you touched on one important point, um, which is the drilling deeper. 
what we have from the historic drilling is a lot of shallow copper and gold intercepts, a lot of shallow copper and gold mineralization that was relatively low grade. And low grade um, in itself isn't really um, getting very much, but a, a porphyry typically, um, or porphyry mined, a porphyry deposit, what you would see is a high grade center, higher grade zone, within a large grade of lower grade mineralization. And you need both. You need the large volume of the lower grade plus the um, high grade that then very often is, is um, very important for to make things economic. So what uh, we did at Gate, we drilled below the shallow historic mineralization and we're very successful um, in discovering in what now seems a very sizable higher grade, high grade porphyry center. And it's exactly that approach that we are taking at Dillard as well, will be taking at MAN, also at um, other targets, for example, in the southern part of our property at X. And when I said before, the shallow historic um, um, mineralization, the one, the mineralization that was drilled uh, by previous operators, in its own, it's not worth a lot. But the fact, for example, at Dillard, that we have a lot of near-surface lower-grade mineralization um, could be very advantageous because we now at GATE, we already have some higher grade and we're now drilling for the same, with the same um, intention at Dillard. And if we find high-grade mineralization, um, that um, um, then um, adds to what we have already in terms of low-grade mineralization, then all of a sudden this whole low-grade mineralization that we have already becomes a whole lot more interesting. So, yeah. I would say the the strategy at these um, other targets, uh, Dillard, uh, Man, etc., very similar to um, what we did at Gate, and we believe, and our data tells us what we have at MPD is a multi-center porphyry system. So these other target areas like Dillard, like Man, these are intrusions that are separate um, from gate and yeah to find the source and the the high grade profit center associated with those intrusions that's really what we're running for and i think we have a very good chance to find more high grade zones these multi-center porphyry uh, are very common copper mountain next door is exactly um that um scenario and as are many other profits in BC and elsewhere. And so, yeah, that's what we're drilling for now. And it's certainly a very exciting time for our company because um, after now drilling for one, one and a half years at GATE, building on our initial discovery, we are now aiming to replicate the discovery success and come up with one, two, three, several more discoveries. And that's where this story really gets exciting, right? That if you can have multiple discoveries all under the same umbrella in Kodiak, that's where things could get very, very interesting for investors. No, absolutely. Well, why don't you on that note, um, uh, maybe just a brief recap of 2022 for you in terms of exploration. And then maybe maybe more of a focus, if I may, on on, on your plans from here. What, you know, for in the next six to 12 months, what's, what are your plans with that $9 million you have in the bank? Mm -hmm. So this year, 2022, we drilled 25,000 meters or are still in the process of, of doing so. We will 
soon um, complete the metrage uh, in the last stage of the of the project um, and the program drill program. The uh, first in round numbers, 20,000 meters were all on the gate zone when we made the discovery. And we were very successful in expanding on the initial discovery. And the gate zone now extends over about a kilometer north south across a width of 350 meters and down to a depth of 900 meters. That's approximately sort of the dimensions over which we have drilled high-grade mineralization. So we're starting to see some real nice size and scale. Mm-hmm. And so the, um, as I said, those were the first in round numbers, 20,000 meters off the program this year. We have now moved our drill to the Dillard target, which is two kilometers away from um, gate. It is, as the gate zone historically drilled, has a very big footprint. It's a surface anomaly of 2.7 kilometers in length. It was three times the, the size of the surface anomaly at, at gate. So it's a very exciting target. I'm really looking forward to um, to the results from there because it is very big. So um, if we are able to um, drill some high grade there, that would be certainly very exciting. So yeah, exciting um, target we're working on now. We are hoping to put one or two more holes into one other target on the property in addition to Dillard this year. And then next year we have also again a large drill program planned and we'll test further targets. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll drill more holes at Dillard. And then we have MAN, of course, on our list. We have targets in the southern part, um, the 15-16 target um, in the X area of our project. So um, lots of targets. We also have new targets that aren't historically drilled that came out of our sampling work. Um, so yeah, we have, we're not short of targets. We will have our hands full next year and lots more potential for discoveries. Good problem to have, eh? Um, <laughs> I was going to say, how, how many assays are left? How many holes are you awaiting return for this current season, for this current drilling campaign? So far, we have reported nine holes um, and uh, are now some um, somewhere beyond 30 holes. Um, so lots more to come from this uh, year's program. We also have some results from trenching to come. We have sampling results to come from soil sampling. We have geophysical uh, results from geophysical surveys we did. So lots more in terms of results um, that will come. Um, later this year and then into next year. Are you seeing any improvement in lab turnaround times or is it still a bit of a backup? We have at the moment eight to nine weeks um, in terms of of turnaround time, so quite long. Mm. It's, of course, frustrating um, sometimes to not be able to report back quicker to our shareholders. But um, at the same time, for porphyry exploration, the type of exploration we do, you don't need the um, acid results as much for the drill targeting as many other types of exploration do, like just from looking at the core and we are using XRF. We know already before we send the core to the lab whether we're in the zone or not. And so the decisions um, where to drill the next hole, they don't depend much on the lab results. In that respect, we are fortunate. And, yeah, it's just 
that's out of our outside of our control. We just have to mm -hmm. have to um, contend with whatever the the lab the times are. Yeah, just the reality of it. And so, 2023 is it about the same? Is that my memory serving me correct? Is it about 25,000 meters again campaign, or what's your plan? Um, we uh, will um, review that obviously with the board and with the market conditions in the um, in the back of our minds on a continuous basing basis. But for now, we have a big drill program planned um, for next year, and um, it would be great to do something similar to this year. And um, that's certainly sort of where we're starting out. And yeah, we will adjust our our plans um, depending on on how the market develops. So one final question here about drilling, and you know, it's one of those things where, uh, just from a technical perspective, I find it fascinating. I would almost just like to see it happen, right? Drilling nearly a kilometer into the earth uh, is no small feat. So, do you mind just? I mean, obviously, it's far different than you know, fifty meter drill holes, far different game. But what? So, what is the cost of drilling for you per meter? Obviously, going deeper adds cost to it. But I mean, what? So, when you drill your nine hundred meter hole, how much does that cost you on a per meter basis? Yeah, you uh, highlighted a very important point. Um, the depth of the drilling, that's a big, big variable that determines what your drilling costs are. For a hole that we drill, we normally target between seven and 800 meters. The first 50, first 100 meters might cost $50 per per um, meter. And then the, the last $500 um, per meter. So on average, we um, have around about $300 per meter as our drilling costs. And I would say for BC and Canada, probably that's as low as it can get. And the reason is just simply that um, we are in a resource area where we have um, really good access and all the, um, all the supplies, all the, the services, everything nearby. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. So again, we'll just switch gears here, and I'll see if I can say this in a way that is or, you know, articulates it without being confusing, because there's a bit of a bit of a context that I want to provide for this. But you know, Kodiak has decided, as many juniors have, it's not uncommon, right, to, to defer an initial resource estimate or, or a PEA, right, that you are opting to continue to explore and and add pounds in the ground, right, and so. And I'll preface this. I'll preface this by saying that you know, obviously, as I referenced earlier, that if you're in this sector, I mean, copper is universally seen to be very bullish over the next half decade to decade, right? And so that there just has to be, if we wish to meet our, meet our green energy targets, there just has to be a re-rating in the price of copper, so that, and so then, so on. That's one thing. On the on the other hand, you have sort of this shrinking globe again, where you have this splintering of regions, where you have now the West deciding that we need it's time for critical minerals because we have kind of almost like a Cold War 2.0 thing arising. It's uncomfortable and we can just sidestep that conversation. But for these reasons, you know, projects such as your own where it's deep and, and lower grade than, you know, a historical copper mine, right, uh, that they're going to become very important, right? So that this is the, the, the market just has to adjust to this reality if we want to meet our green energy goals, right? Uh However, right, so that's my preface, that's my context, is that, you know, you are, it is remarkable. Like I say, from a technical perspective, it's very impressive drilling eight, 900 meters into the ground. This is a very deep porphyry system, uh, the, the majority of which will not be open pitable, but will be the block cave mine, which is tricky as heck, right? At, at grades that are today, 
I mean, obviously, Copper Mountain's making it work with a 0.24% resource. So they're, they're economic, but it's, it's, it's more marginal than, you know, obviously a 1% system, right? So for that reason, right, uh, you know, I speak, speaking to myself about myself as an investor, I love having like a PEA or a PFS because it gives me numbers, right? I can, I can look at all in sustaining costs. I can look at price per ton, the tonnage and average grade to help me understand NPV, the economic investment thesis, not just the geological rate. So I guess if you're following along here, like I say, it's pretty long-winded. But I mean, ultimately, can you just kind of speak to, you know, Kodiak's internal rationale or strategy as to why you are choosing to defer uh, on that initial resource and PEA? Is it just that you're kind of internally waiting to hit a magic number in terms of resource size? Or what, what is, yeah, what's the logic there, if you can explain it? Yeah, that's a very good question. And actually one that I get asked quite often. Mm. And it's a strategic choice for our company. We could choose to start working on a resource at the gate zone, the MPD. We have some size there and, and um, could probably, with a little bit more drilling, um, then start define a resource. Or our other strategic choice is to go for size and test the other targets that we have of the property on the property and um, add size and scale through further discovery. That's very much the, the strategy that um, Great Bear followed when um, mm -hmm. the sister company, when they explored the Dixie project. Um, and when we acquired MPD, the reason why, or one of the reasons we acquired it is that it has real size potential. It's a very large land package and the historic drilling is over a very, very large footprint. So we knew it's a large system. It's like 14 square kilometers of historic drilling. And the fact that it has that size potential, that's what really attracted us to the project. It's a big price if we can make it work. That's also why tech invested. They became, after our initial discovery, our largest shareholder and invested in total between our discovery initially and then also our, our financing earlier this year, where they invested again. They invested 10 million. The reason why they um, got in early is that they also think this project has the, the potential to be big. They're a big company. They're not interested in a small project. So long story short, um, the, the uh, size potential, that's, I think, what really um, makes MPD valuable. And that's where we have the, the best opportunity to really create value for our shareholders by drilling further and just um, adding scale to the project. So that's what we're doing, and um, that's what our strategy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and perfectly valid, right? Just, just curiosity's sake, and as you say, something that you get quite a bit because it is a decision that you know it's it's has to be has to be explained, right? And this is uh, I always feel bad asking this question because it's so hypothetical and far into the future. But is there any intention or desire or interest in terms of taking this to production yourself internally? Or is this going to, again, follow the Great Bear model where you prove up a reasonable majority of the prospectivity and then pass that baton to, off to someone like tech or to a major like like them? Yeah, well, when uh, looking around the, the world, um, the porphyry mines 
that are um, in production or being built. The companies that are building them are the BHPs, Freeports, um, Antofagastas, etc. of this mm. world. I don't think there is a single porphyry mine that um, is built or has been built by the junior who originally made the discovery. So just looking at that, I think for us, a likely scenario is also at some point, keep having success, that tech or another major uh, will take interest and eventually make an offer and, and uh, want to buy the project. Um, that's, I think, um, certainly um, a likely sort of future outcome for, for our company. But I mean, where we generate value is really driving it forward with drilling, adding um, further high-grade mineralization and adding value at the drill And that's what we are focused on. Mm. Yeah, I, I, like I say, I, I may just stop asking that question because it is so so far off in the future. I mean, you have years upon years of exploration in front of you, anyway, right? So it's it's so far off in the future that it may as well, yeah, it's quite quite hypothetical. But no, it's a yeah point well made that it's a porphyry systems are so large and expensive. It's a it's a major's game. Uh, if I may, we're we're kind of circling around to the end of this here. Just a couple of questions left. Uh, maybe just a question, uh, and I guess maybe this is a. a fairly simple one to ask, but nevertheless, I guess I'll ask it, but I mean, what is the biggest geological risk remaining for this project in your eyes? Biggest geological risk? Well, what I would say is that we've made a discovery and have now drilled, well, almost 50,000 uh, 50, meters following up that discovery. And um, that sort of really de-risks the project on the geological side um, and sets us apart from, from many other um, exploration projects. Um, I would say going forward, it's really about how big can we make it, how much more discovery potential can we unlock. And then obviously um, it comes to um, resource um, and PEA and then the economics, which will be the next steps of the project. So, yeah, as I said, I think the geological risk, that's sort of a box where we have already ticked, uh, put a big tick mark. And going forward, it's about size and then um, economics. Mm -hmm. Have you done, this is curiosity's sake here, have you done, have you begun MET testing internally? Is that something, I mean, and when might it arrive for the market to see? Is that just, or is that more closer to PEA and it's not yet on your, on your, on your priority list? Not yet on the priority list. Um, we have, of course, next door Copper Mountain, an operating mine, which mm -hmm. is geologically very similar. And um, they produce a nice clean concentrate and don't have any um, any deleterious elements or anything that would sort of give reason for concern. And that's, of course, already a big sort of check mark. And we look in our assays um, for deleterious elements, etc., and have nothing that gives us any reason for concern. And so for those reasons, there's no reason really to, to start with MET testing now. That's something that will come in the future. No, thank you. So honestly, this is, we have arrived at the end of the conversation here. So I guess I'll let you have final word, Claudia. Any any final parting thoughts that you'd like to share? 
Well, I think for for an investor, what's important uh, to keep in mind is that we have lots of results coming and we are well financed. And it's a down market at the moment. We are trading, I think, at three times our, our market cap. This is three times our cash balance and our share price is um, almost at levels where it was before we made the discovery and 50,000 meters of successful drilling. So if you look at our insider buying, um, I've bought multiple times. So have other insiders. Um, I think I would agree with what you said before. It's in the downturn where um, you find the best opportunities. And I certainly think of Kodiak as a buying opportunity at these levels. And yeah, we are at a very exciting time in the company's um, development with lots more results to come and potential for more discoveries in the next couple of months. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time, Claudia. Uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, if you want more information on, on Kodiak, go to KodiakCopperCorp.com. You can find me under the name Junior Resource Investing on Spotify, YouTube, and elsewhere. And yeah, just Claudia, thank you for your time. Thank you for a strong conversation. Thank you.